Hey folks, welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, bringing you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. We're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, in the heart of America's heartland. Hey, if you value what we do, we could sure use your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Become a sponsor if you like. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' centrally located premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods and a community focus, check out the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, long-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Hey, thanks uh, also to the, uh, the Des Moines Irish Session for providing the bumper music for our program. All right, Charles um, Goldman with me today, folks. Hey, Charles, how are you? How's it going, Ed? Right, i got to ask you an inane question before we get into some serious stuff. Why do they call it a pair of jeans? Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's only one thing, and we don't call like a shirt. It has two legs, right? Mm-hmm. But your shirt has two appendages as well. We don't call that a pair of shirts or a pair of jackets. Why do we call it a pair of jeans? You're a doctor. You ought to know. You know, actually, I've never even thought about that question. Well, I'm sorry to burden you with it today because it's really a. I, you know, in my spare time when I have a minute to do something frivolous, it's an interesting question. Yeah. So what 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 is your conclusion on this? I don't have one. <laughs> I figured you would because you're an MD. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that goes that goes back to the original advertising for it in the Sears Roebuck catalog sure. when the jeans first came out. Uh, maybe it was in deference to those who only had one leg. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. No. Okay. No. Oh, so before we get serious, one more thing. Uh, you, you, you probably saw this. A guy from Council Bluffs, uh, Timothy Allen Albertson, uh, he's suing Google, Google, YouTube, and Facebook, claiming to have had, his rights have been stifled um, because uh, if those those uh, those platforms don't allow him to voice his quote uh, opposition to left wing. This is his words: left wing woke censorship and suppression of free speech. He's um he doesn't like gay males. He's okay with um with uh with same sex women marrying for some reason. Um, <laughs> Just like the Bible. He's also right. He's also he's also pretty sure that Joe Biden is a pedophile, and he's um he's he's filing a he's filing a lawsuit against these companies. Um, bets on how far this goes. Um, well, if he takes it down to El Paso. <laughs> he can probably at least get it to the Court of Appeals right. in Atlanta. See, I, I, I think he's wasting his time with the courts. This guy ought to be running for the legislature. I mean, that, that's the kind of candidate they're looking for, you know? Well, you know, it's really been, it's really been quite the week for, uh, you know, for liability claims based on defamation or, uh, you know, censorship. You refer to Trump? Right. Well, what I love about this last week was, of course, that the euphemistically called town hall – Basically, oh, maybe town hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May maybe grounds for her to sue him again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we saw why uh, former President Trump didn't testify in the yeah. trial in New yeah. York. So, AR, you said euphemistically called a town hall. What would you literally call it if you were being honest with the world? It, it, CNN it, was being honest with the world. It was it was a Trump rally. I mean, he went to all his greatest hits. Yeah. I actually watched it just to see how many seconds it would take before he started complaining about the 2020 election again. It was under 30 seconds. <laughs> so, you know, and he, he, he went to the usual. You know, I never met her. 
but she's a terrible person. Right. You know, the usual. I saw a picture. I thought, I thought it was my wife or something like that, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of Trump, uh, despite all that, well, actually, that the trial and the CNN, quote, rally, as you call it, mm-hmm. uh, occurred after the uh, Washington Post ABC poll that I was looking at the other day, which shows that uh, Trump is the chosen candidate, the, the candidate that uh, 44% would either definitely or probably support, uh, and then Joe Biden, 38%. So there's Trump in a poll uh, by, you know, a reputable polling service with a uh, six percentage point, no, sorry, eight percentage point lead over Biden. Uh, now, I know there are some polls out there that show Biden beating Trump, but it's always by like a smaller margin, like 2%, 1%, maybe 3 mm-hmm. uh, The poll That poll also showed DeSantis beating Biden. Um, and yet, you know, Democrats continue to say, oh, we hope Trump wins the primary because we can beat him. We already beat him once, we'll beat him again. Uh, they're, they're, they're missing a whole bunch of things. They're, they're missing so many important details. And these polls, despite polls being flawed, are starting to show why that line of thinking is totally flawed. Well, I guess the question is, why is Biden's favorability so poor? You know, and you've got the issue of somebody who's totally equally unfit as Trump to be president, and that's RFK Jr., you know, getting— Totally like, what? Unfit? Unf- absolutely unfit. Why, because he's a Kennedy? No, it's nothing to do with him being a Kennedy. That's probably the main reason. I would suspect that some of the people don't even know he's not that Kennedy. You know. What do you mean, that Kennedy? He's not like one of the Kennedy brothers, both of whom got assassinated in the 1960s. <laughs> okay, well, I, you know, know. I think everybody knows that. I would hope so. <laughs> but what, what is RFK's, what is his, yes, at one time he was very much an environmental activist. Well, he still is, isn't he? Yeah, he still is. But he's, he, he you know, his, his, He's he's part of the paranoia of our time now, you know the autism from vaccines. I don't know how many more times we gonna have to you know prove that that's not the case. He's an anti-vaxxer in terms of COVID. He's become a, a conspiratorial person, just like a lot of the other people in this country. Well, and um, what is his what are his capabilities that would make him a, a good president? Uh, well, you know his name, and he's an attorney. <laughs> well, he's already pulling nineteen percent in the Democratic uh, face-off against Biden. And that, and then Marianne Williamson is also pulling nine percent. I yeah. mean, Biden, uh, you know, nearly a third of Democratic voters, when given the option of Biden, Robert Kennedy, Marianne Williamson, right, uh, I understand, choose that. one of the uh, two who aren't president right now, which is unprecedented. Yeah, you don't you don't see that kind of lack of enthusiasm among the Democratic base for a sitting president. Well, but on the other hand, I think that if the choice is going to be Biden versus Trump, which it's increasingly looking like it's going to be. A lot of these people who are saying this now are not going to be voting for Trump for certain. And the question is, will they come out and vote just to be sure Trump is not president again? That's my that's my that's my concern is that, you know, 71 percent. Sorry, 71 million votes. That's what Trump got last time. Mm-hmm. Second highest vote toad for a president in the history of the U.S., second to what Biden got last time. Right. Uh, Trump won with a lot less than 71 million votes against Hillary Clinton. And I, 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 don't see, I, see, I think there's going to be a huge enthusiasm gap next time around for various reasons, from various directions, and that's my concern. 
And if, if Democrats want to want to address the problem of this of, the, of this enthusiasm gap, they need to get on it now and not wait till September of 2024. Well, in certain in certain states, that is what's going on in Arizona. It's a continuous process now to try to keep the Democratic populace there energized. What are they doing in Arizona? And, I mean, they they are not just appearing in people's houses a week before the general election. They are constantly going back. They meaning the organizations that have been mobilizing the particularly Hispanic population in in Arizona, which was a big reason why they were able to carry Arizona the last time. Of course, they've got another big race there as well with <laughs> Kristen Cinema now running as what an independent, independent I believe right. for now. Right. We'll see if that changes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised to see her run as a Republican. I don't know. I'm I'm I am baffled by the level. It, it, unless everyone is just totally buying into this issue of his age, Who, Biden's being, age, yeah, Biden's age being eighty at you know if he were to become the president again, eighty two if he's elected again. No, I think it's eighty, 81. and then he'd be eighty four at the conclusion of the term. But mm. I mean, so I understand. I'm tired of of octogenarian and septuagenarian males, you know, being at the forefront of the Democratic Party. Right. Yes, and you're I saying agree. That, you're saying that as a sixty-something-year-old. As a sixty-something-year-old man, yeah, and it's not. It's not. I'm not saying that we're, we're the you young can't generation. be older and be highly functional. Sure, it's just you take certain prejudices that go with your age with you, and you know I understand the disenchantment with people who are younger with the same older people, because again they're tired of the boomers, the early and the late boomers, controlling the culture and controlling. The political machine in many ways, yeah. and and I understand that, but I guess the question is, I truly believe it's not hyperbole that Trump would be even more dangerous a second time because it would be four years of revenge, and he is even more unhinged and more narcissistic and more sociopathic now than he was before. Well, and he's, he's got a Supreme Court that well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm starting to scratch my head about the Supreme Court because they certainly are not ruling in ways that Trump, who appointed, you know, appointed the judges that have tipped the majority to a 6-3 conservative majority. They're certainly not voting the way that he and some of Trump's supporters would like them to vote, which we'll talk about later in this program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, so you, you're, um, you're, you're not, uh, what would you like to see happen in the Democratic primary? I mean, again, we've got, we've got challengers. We've got Biden, we've got Kennedy, we've got Williamson. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see happen? I mean, I would like to see um, debates among them that would help the, reassure people that Biden can still think on his feet. I mean, they won't, if you uh, look the at— The Democratic National Committee won't allow that. Well— There won't be any debates. No, Biden will, I, I, Biden, I disagree with that. You don't, you don't think, you, you think Biden will participate in a debate? He did the last time. Well, that's because he had to, because right. he wasn't the assured winner. Now he's the front runner. Right, but this would be an opportunity to prove, as he did at the or State to, of the Union. Or to screw up so bad that it hurts him. Well, I mean, that's the chance you take. I don't think he's going to take that chance. I don't think he'll do it. I, I think the DNC will insulate him from that opportunity, just like they insulated him from the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary and the, and the Nevada caucuses by making sure South Carolina, which he won, gets to go first. Right. Well, I understand that that was the change. They're going to insulate him left and right. He's their guy. <laughs> well, I, I, again, I still don't understand their inability to take what they've done and say to people, 
what exactly is it that Trump did? I mean, in fact, that's the problem. You go out and ask people who voted for Trump what he did. Most of them can't articulate anything other than somehow they identify with him. And, you know, I, I watched enough of that town hall, and we've all seen enough of Trump for more than a lifetime. <laughs> um, and, I, I, you know, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a, a blog here of, of the neighborhoods. You know, people put stuff on about what, what's happening in the neighborhood. And, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm reading this and I'm saying, God, what a bunch of whiners. I mean, the stuff that they're complaining about. Like, there's too many dandelions on somebody's lawn or, you know. Well, that's, uh, a, that's a big deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, and it, it makes me understand, though, that a lot of Trump's appeal is that people see that he's like them, right? I mean, there's no bigger whiner that I've ever seen in public life than Donald Trump. Everything yeah. is everybody else's fault. He never takes responsibility for anything except when he thinks it's a good thing, <laughs> you know. And he's kind of like, this is, I think that's what his appeal is because in terms of concrete policies, I'm not seeing. The economic numbers don't point to that he did anything sure. in excess of what Biden has done. In fact, Biden has created more jobs. There's more, finally, some infrastructure spending that is creating jobs, right? I know that it's never enough for you, Ed, but he certainly has done more <laughs> in terms of trying to do something in the direction of climate change. Oh sure, like, like yeah, sure, like opening uh, opening the uh, willow willow uh, oil drilling project in the Gulf, uh, expanding oil leases in the if, or in Alaska. If rather, oil, if Come oil, on, Charles. if oil products become less needed for energy production, well, they won't as long then as they, if, then they can open all the well, all he, the leases they want. No, if he, if he the stuff is worthless. It's a stranded asset. If he continues to expand drilling and 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 my and, and extraction, no, this it's not going to be. It's, it's who's going to buy it. Well, if you don't need it, yeah. If you can, if you can power your car with electricity, then you don't need oil to yeah. the same level. So then so why, what? Then you why are they it. continuing to extract it? You know. Anyway. Well, for the most part, most leases are going unused. Well, there's hundreds of leases out there that they're not doing anything with. I want to. I want to switch gears for a second here uh, before we come to blows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, speaking of liners and wimps, uh, Trump. Scheduled to be in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, it was Chance. raining. It was raining. Oh, well, it was a tornado watch. Now, for those of you who might not know the difference between a tornado watch mm -hmm. and a tornado warning, there's a huge difference. A warning means... It's if, coming. Well, if, well it Somewhere. Means, uh, somewhere. <laughs> probably, you know, if it's the other side of the block, it doesn't matter to you. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's a, it means there's been <clears> some kind of rotational activity sighted in the clouds. Watch only means that the conditions are right. So for somebody to cancel anything... Well, whatever mm. you're doing, because of a tornado watch, that's ridiculous. So Trump, what a wimp, canceling a rally. And people travel from all over the Midwest to this rally. Well, the question was, was it in fact because the attendance was going to be so pathetic? That that's a good guess. To, right. That's a good that guess. That he didn't want to show. Yeah. Because he claimed he was waiting at the airport in Palm Beach, yeah. ready to go. Yeah. And, but that his advisors told him it was too well, dangerous. Well, he probably was telling the truth because Trump never lies. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, Rod, Ron DeSantis in Iowa. Um, yeah, uh, doing you know, the obligatory. He was cooking things, I saw. He was flipping with, burgers with, with, uh, with, with our U.S. Congressman, uh, Randy Feenster, and the governor. Yeah. But, um, right. God, yeah. these rituals. I mean, it's just pathetic. I mean, what, the things what, that politicians you, have to do. You're speaking as a vegan now, right? It's nothing to do with flipping the burgers. Oh, okay. It's just, it's such a cliche, you know, and did any of them have their sleeves rolled up? 
Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Yeah, you have to have your sleeves rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right. So yeah. I'm working hard for yeah. you. <laughs> Flipping burgers. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, uh, you know, uh, but DeSantis, he's, he's riding that. Yeah, Florida's a great state. Look at all the wonderful things we've done there. And look mm-hmm. at Iowa. They've done some, the same sort of things. Well, he's probably right about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, our governor has been pretty much in the same kind of mold uh, as DeSantis has. And, um, well, we see how that's working out with us. We're going to actually talk about that in the second segment. Well, yeah, although it's interesting that, you know, they've still done nothing to further restrict abortion in the state. Interesting. I guess, yeah, I guess they're, they're hoping the court is going to bail them out, that the uh, Supreme Court's going to bail them out here. Let's, uh, let's take a short break here, Charles, and when we come back, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the impact of Republican policies have had particularly on their base, rural communities, and, uh, and a big chunk of the uh, working class of this country. Uh, this is Ed Fallon with uh, Charles Goldman today, folks. Back in a minute with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks again to our sponsors, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Charles. So um, we're looking at policies that Republican states, governors, legislatures have been passing. And, uh, you know, the base of the Republican Party is rural communities, is... Uh, well, it has always been big business, <laughs> uh, and has is is, is increasingly also a big chunk of uh, of rank and file working member labor union members, uh, and yet it looks like a lot of the policies being enacted are not that friendly to those communities. Well, maybe to big business, but certainly not to rural communities. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I when I brought up that we talk about this a little bit, I, I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at um, something which. Probably should be uncontroversial, which is the ability to have access to medical care in your community. And this is a particularly acute problem already for rural communities, and it's just gotten worse. And why is that? Why, is it, why has it been a, become a problem? Well, simply because of shrinking populations? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, yes, the problem start with the fact that there's fewer people living out in the rural areas. Um, and that, of course, makes it more difficult to support a full-service hospital if you don't have as many patients in your catchment area. 
And the fact is, is that the patients in rural areas tend to be sicker than the population as a whole. Um, much higher rates of cardiovascular disease, obesity, Why is diabetes. That? Why is that? Uh, older, um, economically disadvantaged. Uh, you know, and the it's just they don't have access to the services that people have in in the larger cities in the United States right now. Like health clubs. <laughs> like health clubs, right? <laughs> Um, you know, and, and a lot of the activities, you don't get, you don't get well, a lot of the things that you would do in a rural community in the past that required more activity are increasingly not requiring as much. Because activity. instead of uh, pulling weeds, you were sitting in a combine. Well, you're sitting, in, right? You're sitting in a combine. Not a combine. The, not the a GPS combine either, but... is, you know, GPS is driving the combine for you, and it's not that it's not uh, there isn't. It's not that there aren't physical things to do, but it, it just in general. Um, so it's a more that, sedentary life yeah, than it was in the past. Is, is, is that is that borne out by research? That that surprises me, and I'm I'm not convinced that uh, that obesity is more of a problem in, in rural is. areas. It is. It okay, is. you've got data to right. prove and that. And also remember, right. a lot of the black population in the United States is rural, particularly down south. Well, down south, and sure. they have horrible access to services. Um, and the other problem is reimbursement, sure. um, which is you know in the larger city you have a mix. You've got Medicaid, you've got Medicare, you have you know, various forms of private insurance. And in the rural community, the vast proportion of care is provided either to Medicare patients because it's older patients or to Medicaid patients. So what has happened, say, in, in take Iowa, for example. Okay, what has happened in Iowa? Or if you want to take another state, go for it. Well, just in general, in, in general, I can't say specifically in Iowa how many hospitals have closed. But in general, um, over 300 hospitals have closed in the last 10 years. And Most you know, of those rural? This is just rural. Just rural. Right. And there's about 2,000 rural hospitals left, and at so, least half of them are operating at a loss. So 15% have already closed. That's correct. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. And it's even a bigger problem for obstetric services, where it, it's very rare in a rural hospital anymore to have a labor and delivery service. They're expensive, um, and there are other issues, which it's hard to get OBGYN providers in many states now hmm. um, because you, first of all, don't have a population large enough to support that practice. And the other problem, of course, is, and I think there's kind of an ironic justice here, uh, that the states that ran to ban abortion found that all of a sudden OBGYN providers decided maybe this isn't the place for me to stay. Because even if they were cons- they themselves might not been, have been doing abortions, they are very concerned about what to do in situations where termination of a pregnancy is part of the treatment, right. uh, namely ectopic pregnancies okay. in particular. Sure. And those, so they those don't, that are right, outside the uterus. Right. right. And they don't want to be involved in the question of when, or having to let somebody almost bleed out or get septic yeah. until you're going to operate on them. So how big of a deal is that for uh, people who, uh, rural people who have an issue that requires them to get to a hospital in the city 20, well, 30, 40, maybe 100 miles away? It, it just depends. I mean, obviously, yes, there's like helicopters in most of the major cities, so you can get picked up more quickly as long as the weather is not horrendous. But this Passenger rail. What's that? Passenger rail. Passenger rail. Right? Oh, no way. That's, no. Yeah. That so, doesn't exist in the U.S. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you're obviously, it's a delay no matter what, right? right? And, and it and could be life-threatening delay. It could be life-threatening yeah. delay. Um, and... The government now, to try to help, is 
paying rural hospitals to basically only provide outpatient services and minimize the number of people who are inpatient, and which means that in some sense the emergency rooms are just way stations, you know, to try to get you somewhere else mm. as quickly as they can, which is, of course is going to increase the danger if you're particularly ill. And, if you know, things like strokes where if you're close enough by to a hospital, things can be done to ablate the consequences of a stroke event. Hmm. It's going to be too late by the time you get so people why, to why wouldn't else. why wouldn't Republicans in 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 red states, especially like mm-hmm. in Iowa, where they control the House, the Senate, and the governor's office, push for better reimbursement rates for rural? Well, no, I, uh, I think in fairness to Iowa, they they are per, they are pushing for better reimbursement. Iowa is not one of the states that didn't do Medicaid expansion, but there were ten states, there were twelve now down to ten that even to this day, when they were offered the Medicaid expansion associated with the COVID uh, pandemic, refused. And those states, let's, you know, the usual list, what do you expect? Wyoming, Kansas, Texas, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Wisconsin. Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida. So kind of a rogues gallery of <laughs> states. And recently, yeah, North Carolina and, San- and South Dakota both uh, decided that they would take Medicaid expansion. So it's a good question. Why wouldn't you take Medicaid expansion? Essentially, the government, the federal government, is going to send you money to keep well, these hospitals I mean, ask, open. That's the same question to our governor about other programs, about right. housing and... Uh, and uh, but here, but it's interesting when you ask some of the... the yeah, and, yeah. and again, these are 10 states in which it's not just the governorship issue, because in, in not all of them is the governor um, a Republican, but they all are... Uh, controlled by, by bicameral Republican majorities, oftentimes super majorities. Mm-hmm. So the legislature is basically you know, making the law um, as they see fit. And what you usually get when you ask these governors or these legislatures, what is it that you, says you don't want to do Medicaid expansion? The number one answer is it's federal overreach. <laughs> the number two answer is um, this is something private insurers should do, right? Mm. Like like Medicare Advantage, the scam program of Medicare, and then um, and then of course the most important thing is it's a socialist, uh, it's socialized medicine, and it's socialist, and what they don't say number four is because it's Obamacare, yeah, right, and so none of these are good reasons. What policy exactly are they offering? In <laughs> instead of this, yeah. Nothing that helps the people who would qualify for Medicaid. Assistance. Right, and I don't understand. These are the, the very states that are takers from the federal government at a much higher level than those horrible, woke, you know, uh, decadent blue states, right? And so what's the problem here? You take all kinds of money from the federal government for other things, right? When Florida's hit by a hurricane, they don't wait to ask for, uh, you know, a designation as a, a federal emergency and expect the money to come flowing billions to the homes that have been rebuilt now four or five times in the same place. Well, those are wealthy homes. <laughs> well, that's that's part yeah, of the reason right. why. So, uh, what about what about the, uh, the the big changes that have been happening in public education, um, school choice vouchers, um, uh, banning of books, uh, micromanaging of teachers, all sorts of things that uh, again that here in Iowa, for example, Republicans are leading the charge on, mm-hmm. and. Um, some are saying, well, you know, these changes are going to hurt rural communities more than they hurt urban communities. They're, because they're not 
they're not about a coherent policy other than if you believe the coherent policy is the destruction of public education, um, then it's not a coherent policy. It, it, it's, it's a trumped up, so to speak, culture war that they think is politically advantageous. Because, you know, the idea of banning books, it, the internet exists. I don't know what, I don't know what they think banning books is going to do. People will get a hold of these supposed purloined books, right? You know, whether you keep them out of a public school library or not. You know, and even back in the 50s, it, it used to be that people had the right of refusal. People could say they wanted the book removed, right? But in many places, if there was any objection from other parents, the book stayed. Now we flipped it around mm. to one or two people, many of whom oftentimes aren't even having children in these school districts, right? Mm. They're simply essentially political operatives. And they're banning these books because one or two people said... Right, and yeah. that, does, does that, I don't see that hurting rural communities at all. No, of course it hurts rural communities. How? What, the book banning? Yeah, how does that, how, how does that, in, how does that hurt rural communities more than it would urban communities? Well, in urban community, I think there's more likely to be a there's a, it, but just by numbers, okay. People coming and saying that's not happening here. So you're saying a trans tra child, a trans high school student in a rural community, uh, won't have the kind of access to books that might be of interest to him or her that an urban student would have. The, yeah, I think okay. it's more likely that because of the fact that there's a cohesiveness in rural communities and small numbers, yeah. that there's going to be kind of the group think of these books got to go. One of the big things has been a push for charter schools. And, and some are saying that, well, that's a, you know, that not only does that generally speaking hurt public schools, but a lot of the charter school options are going to be in urban areas. And so, you know, rural, rural students, again, aren't going to have that same option. Well, that's correct. I mean, it does hurt. And also the distances are going to be such that then how are they going to get, get to these school choice funded schools? Passenger rail again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we also know what the game this Part of the scheme here is that they're going to leave the public schools with the, the children who they're forced to keep. Because these, the thing about school choice is it's not just that they're giving money to these schools. They're allowing these schools to get money from taxpayers and then do things you can't do by federal or state law, which is discriminate against the children and discriminate against the teachers because they don't agree with your religious beliefs in most cases. Well, teachers are just dropping, I mean, just dropping out of the, like, left and right. I mean, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find the staff needed to manage, right. manage classrooms. Well, I mean, you do. You look at this and you're asking, what is the point of this? But then you see things like, well, let's have kids working in meatpacking plants because it's an educational experience. I mean, are they really going back to the 1910s and 1920s? It almost seems like this is what they want. With the child labor law changes? Yeah. Are, yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's unfathomable to me. And at some point, I, I've asked this question before. You know, and I sit with a lot of people who talk about how their taxes go. They don't want to pay for welfare and everything else. I hate to say it. It's a lot of doctors, you know. A lot of doctors say that? Unfortunately. Well, because it's not about there being doctors. It's about their, their, their people who have been successful. They've been successful and they believe that they're Horatio Alger and they believe that their interests lie with the 0.5%ers, mm -hmm. you know. And so everybody's taking money 
you know, that they so, should have. So where did you go wrong? How come you I don't know. I don't know where I went wrong. I'll give you no subscribe right. to that self uh, that No, but you uh, know, philosophy. if you make people desperate enough, there's no number of guns in your house and there's no number of police that can protect you. And I don't understand why they think making a underclass in this country that is so desperate because there's nothing left to help them through the day, not even money for food, what do they think people are going to do eventually? They're going to say enough's enough. And speaking of food, you're also seeing in Iowa and other states a cutting of SNAP benefits, the, the food. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean. Yeah. And so, again, I think, you know, that, that, that hurts people uh, universally. But, again, we see a larger and uh, growing element of rural poverty that uh, I presume those benefits have been very helpful to. Well, you know, you could you could look at this as, well, I mean, and, and let's face it, a lot of this money, as much as I hate to demonize the Koch brothers, a lot of this money does come from them. I mean, Alec is all Koch, you oh, know. The Koch brother. The Koch brother, right, because right, yeah. his brother recently died. I, I, I do think that they are concerned that because people get benefits that take them out of the workforce, leaving less people to compete, you know, for these jobs, which means you have more power and to demand higher wages and benefits— that they want to drive more people back into the workforce so that they can once again have it like they had it before, which is we're going to offer you seven fifty, hmm. you know, and that's going to have to be good enough because there's no there's no social network, there's no you know uh, plan to help you because you can feed a family of four on seven fifty an hour. <laughs> well, you can if you work eighty hours a week, Charles. Come on, <laughs> you know it. It's just sad, but it's yeah. unfathomable. Here you ask again, why would rural people, as they watch their hospitals close, as they watch maternal mortality be higher in their regions? You know, those are their kids. Mm. You know, when and, is and, enough and, enough? And the other thing is, as they, as they watch a Republican-led legislature fail to do anything to rein in the abuse of eminent domain to take private property for, for you know, for, for a private company. I mean, that, that to me is such a clear and obvious uh uh, break with what your constituency wants and needs. Yeah, anyway. Um, and I'm not saying the Democrats uh, have done a great job in the past of, uh, of, uh, of uh, providing a good government for their constituents, for their voters. And again, it should yeah. never be about that. It should never be about Democrats doing good for their voters or Republicans doing good for their voters. It should be what's good for the people that they serve across the political spectrum. So... Anyway, yeah. hey, we're going to take a short break, Charles. Uh, hey, you like how I got the last word in there? Right. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the U.S. Supreme Court putting little piggies ahead of big producers. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. 
Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. back to the Fallon Format. Fallon, we do here, folks. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, FamilyPsychiatry.com. Hey, Charles Goldman's with me today, folks. And later in the program, Kathy Burns will join me. We're going to be talking about how chickens and rats don't necessarily go together. Long story about that. Anyway, we'll get to that in a bit. Right now, we're going to focus on a different animal, pigs, because the U.S. Supreme Court has made a ruling that um, surprised a bunch of people because it went against it went against what of the conservative business community, the big business community, uh, and um, you know, and a lot of a lot of folks in that camp uh, wanted. And uh, well, um, Charles, <laughs> are you as surprised as I am? Yeah, for a different reason though. Why is that? Because I'm not really sure I understand the thinking behind this um, decision. And I mean, maybe if you, if you want to sort of well, get okay. some detail. Yeah, okay, so so the the U.S. Supreme Court, um, well, there, there was a challenge by the Iowa pork producers, uh, and they had some backing. I can't remember who else was involved in that lawsuit, but they they challenged California's restriction on the sale of pork that didn't meet certain standards. Well, the standards were very specific in terms of sure. how much how space, much space should, yeah. that the the pig had to have. Um, was the main part of it. That's correct. And that you, if, if they didn't meet that, they would not be able to sell port that right. products from that pig in California. Which, yeah. by the way, is, this case is still in the litigation in California as to whether it's enforceable. Sure, and there will be an appeal for sure. Well, but nothing to do with the Supreme Court, though. This, was a, this is separate from what's going on in California because there are people there. It was, it was a proposition that got... Um, you know, that's pretty well, yeah. pretty, pretty, that's pretty handily. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think people in California felt, yeah, we want pork sold in our state to be raised uh, humanely, and there again, certain definitions, so certain elements of the definition of humane included having what at least twenty four feet, twenty, I think twenty four feet, feet of space. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, um, and so you know, I, I mean, that doesn't that doesn't fit the description of how most most pork is raised in Iowa. And so the Iowa pork producers are pretty upset about it, and uh, all the major political, you know, voices on the Republican side in Iowa. Our Congressman Randy Feenster, uh, Feenstra, um, said California liberals have no jurisdiction over how Iowa farmers raise our hens and hogs. And you know what? He's right. But why? Why should Iowa pork producers have any jurisdiction over how Californians decide they want their pork to be packaged? I mean, I I get that. 
I, mm. I get where Phoenix is coming from, but okay, can't you just, just flip that around? It's kind of all about whether you believe in local control, whether you believe in the right of people to determine within their own state, within their own community, uh, what you know, what, what, what kind of guidelines should should uh, should should uh, direct basic services? You know. Well, the the case was interesting in that the Biden administration argued on the side of the producers. Right. It was yeah. It was Biden and the uh, and the and the oh, and the pharmaceutical companies as well. Well, because their argument, and and this is where I'm, I am a little bit lost, to be perfectly honest. Their argument is that the Commerce Clause gives the federal government, and specifically the Congress, the right to regulate interstate commerce. And also the makeup of the judges in terms of which side they ended yeah, up was, that was very intriguing. That was fascinating. So you ended up with Clarence Thomas, Gorsuch, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Amy Comey Barrett on the side of, of, the, pigs. of the, California, <laughs> the pigs in California. And all the other justices... You know, uh, Roberts, including Jackson, uh, the, new, the new appointee by Biden. Jackson yeah. ended up uh, voting for uh, that this was, in fact, uh, a violation of the Commerce Clause, that it essentially is, is usurping the right of the federal government to regulate this issue. And the, the argument that Gorsuch made on the side of the pigs was that um, there's nothing in the Constitution that would suggest right. yeah. that this is an issue for the federal government. Right. And I actually am at someone of a loss because it pretty clearly is an interstate commerce issue in that it, it does set up the possibility, and this is where I'm a little concerned about it, is that we kind of saw this in the Mifeprostone issue, you know, case, which is that a decision in one court in Texas, albeit a federal court, could have potentially taken out the right to use that drug for medication abortion in every state of the union, which is which essentially would be the same issue of, okay, so one state decides that they don't want to use this drug, you know, or that they're not going to accept a product that it's kind of like the EGS thing, you know, where in Texas they don't, they don't want to do business with any of the corporations that are involved with taking into account uh, EGS principles. For, EGS? Um, now I'm blanking on Okay, this. never yeah. mind. <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's, it's basically environmentalism, governance, and ah, I forget what the S is. Okay. Um, so I, I do think that this is kind of a dangerous decision because it is sort of true. I mean— you could argue, well, okay, then they don't need to sell these, you know, any pork products to California entities. But that's 13% of your market. And so anything that California— 13%? Yeah, it's 13% of the pork market in, in the I, United States. Well, okay, does that include the, what, what, what percentage of Iowa's pork goes to China and other ports ab abroad? It's, it's, it's pretty big. Yes. And it's getting bigger. Yeah, no, I understand that. But—, but I do think this is dangerous to say that a state can decide this and that it does create a huge amount of non-uniformity. Now, it's different from the emissions thing that California did, right? Because they went to the federal government and said, this is what we want to do, and got an exemption. They got a waiver from the national so standard. I, I don't understand how it's different. And you're talking about the emissions exemption that allowed them to require automobile 
uh, makers to produce cars that met, met a certain um, uh, mile. That's correct. Mile, and because of the, the number of cars that were sold in California, so the fact that they engaged other states and said, do so you want to do this? How is this any different? They're, 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 the, California, in this case, is seeing an environmental imperative to control emissions. And now they, and they've gone ahead and seen, and they, this is a popular vote. This wasn't a decision by the governor or the courts in California or the legislature, the people voted to do this right. based on concerns about the environment. All I'm saying is if you, if you allow some, this decision, which I am somewhat dubious, doesn't fall under the Commerce Clause, despite what the, these five justices decided, um, you know, with Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas basically saying because it's not in the Constitution, which is their usual argument for things, well, at, um, least, at, least, <laughs> at least Thomas was consistent. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think there's a danger that this boomerangs on you in that you're going to run to other situations where state laws in states that you are not so, you know, ideologically in sync with are going to try to do the same thing. So, for example, a state would say that uh, we won't allow any bookstore to sell any book that, uh, that, um, that, that talks about trans issues. Is that what you're saying? No, because the market is... It, it, see, I don't see how this is not the same issue as this major questions issue, this new doctrine they made up you know, sure. for the EPA cases. And I do think when you're looking at 13% of your market, this is a major questions issue. You know, and that the, the, the place to adjudicate this is in the Congress I, and I, not in the <clears throat> courts. I think a lot of it depends on how you view the structure of the United States. I mean, the United States... And these states are united at certain levels, but then we also have a lot of independence in terms of how we how we direct life within our borders. And uh, you know, and, and I, I totally feel that uh, you know that, that that doesn't apply when it comes to air and water that that crosses borders. When the Mississippi River is polluted up in Iowa, and it affects the Gulf down in Louisiana, that's a concern that the entire country should weigh in on. Yeah. But when you when, you, when you're selling pork in California. Or when you're regulating air air quality emissions, you know, um, and you're in your your airing in this case you're you're weighing in on the side of cleaner air, you know, healthier food. I mean, I don't see how that's a problem. Well, because I do think this does fit the same criteria, which is that, but if you have 13 percent of the market, because what they said, what the Attorney General for you know California says is well. You know, California consumers have spoken through the ballot box that they're willing to pay higher prices for humane treatment of the pigs. They don't want to be part of the immorality of participating in what is done in, in confinements, right? Mm -hmm. So that's fine. But there's a consequence that's raising prices for the entire country if a huge, if the large pork producers have to you know, spend more to produce pork. I'm not saying I am against what they were trying to do. I'm asking the question so, of the principle is okay. that it shouldn't be decided in the courts to start with. Yeah. No, I think it should be decided at the ballot box like California voters did. And if they, you know, if they, if they voted the other direction and they decided they wanted, they only wanted to purchase pork that was produced in small, you know, by hogs raised in small cages and given plenty of medication... That's their right to do that. I mean, I don't think it'd be a very a good decision. I don't, and I don't, I don't see it ever happening. Mm. But I think you know that's their right. It's it's. I mean, we and we've seen we've seen ballot initiatives that have gone 
the way that you and I, maybe maybe we don't always agree, but that you and I would normally support, there have been ballot initiatives that we would say, oh, that's a terrible idea. But that's the way it should go. I mean, if people... People opt to vote for a certain thing. It should be what, well, what, they, know, what they live with. I think, and, I think and, you're, you're getting into very dangerous territory right now because you're starting also, of course, let's, let's look at a, an issue which is even you know, more divisive than whether you, you know, eat pork from confinement, is issues of interstate travel for medical procedures. You mean abortion? Abortions, or now it's probably going to be also for treatment for you know, sexual dysmorphism. Yeah. So um, you're going to have states that are going to try to, they're going to go to the same principle saying, this is not really under the Commerce Clause. This is not an interstate issue. We want to do this. You know, we're going we're gonna to do this because we don't want our citizens to be participating in the moral, uh, you know, immorality of transgender, you know, of, of, of transgender uh, transformations or abortions. You know, and they're going to look at this and say, well, well you know, uh, it, it, it's a core issue except, except that's not a product like pork or, or an automobile. It's a, it's a, it's a human, it's a, it's a service, it's a public health service. And that's different, I think, you know. Well, I, I just, and, and that was actually, you know, the question that Roberts raised, which is, how is this not an interstate issue? And Roberts was on the, the losing side of that vote. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I, well, I don't know. I when I read this, I mean, yes, of course, it's great. You know, and it's un, I don't see how it's even enforceable. To be perfectly honest, because mm-hmm. what are they going to do about you know products that are already prepared, like the McRib or something? <laughs> you know, when they come into the state and they already have the the barbecue sauce or whatever yeah. chemicals they put on it. Yeah. You know, I mean, are they going to stop it at the border at those yeah. stations? <laughs> like yeah. when you're driving into California, <laughs> it just seems unenforceable to me. It may you know. be unenforceable. That's a really good point. And I, I would say, you know, to the producers who are upset about it, well, just uh, find a different market. And I know, again, you'd say, well, it's a big market, but um, it's a big world. And there's more and more people, you know, uh, I think willing to buy. If, if, I mean, if, I, think, I think that's I, actually, I think that's kind of where this decision came from, which is if it's a free market, you can sell your stuff somewhere else. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's ultimately kind of why five and, and, and again, again, where I'm coming from is I I, uh, I don't support I, I don't want to eat pork that's come from a confinement. I want to I want to eat products, animal products, vegetables, everything. I, I want it all to come from sources that I trust that raise it organically, sustainably, um, that, that don't medicate their animals, that don't spray chemicals on their crops. And I and you know I, I think it's really important if people have that preference like I do then we should be able to know what we're buying. And again, like you said, sometimes who knows what's coming across the, the state line, and right. you may not know. And, uh, and um, yeah, so but I, 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 it requires... Again, I'm just very concerned about state-on-state, state, you know, in-state decision being transferred to interstate involvements. And, you, you know, you're looking at some of the real doctrinaire anti-abortion states, and they're looking at just doing that. And I guarantee you there's going to be a case within the next year or two at the Supreme Court about the issue of whether they can stop people from going across so, state lines. So if you and I had been on the Supreme Court, you would have been voting with the minority? Yes. And I would have been voting from, with the majority? I would have. I probably would have voted with the minority. How much fun is that? Anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, Charles, thanks for joining us today, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman with me in the studio. 
Hey, I got to take a short break. When I come back, Kathy Burns will join me. We're going to be talking about how why chickens and rats uh, don't party together. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. And thanks to Gateway Market, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, Kathy Burns, welcome to the studio. How are you? Very good. So I was um, talking to somebody the other day, and they were adamantly against chickens in cities. Mm-hmm. Urban chickens were bad, this woman said, because they attract rats. And I looked it up, and I saw no evidence to that effect. But you are, you've done a little more research than me, so kick it off. Well, we've seen no evidence to that effect, either with our chickens that are here in a very urban environment. But, uh, yeah, the, the thing to remember about rats, and I didn't know much about rats, and well, still don't. But good opportunity to learn, I guess. But <laughs> what I'm seeing in the reading I did is that rats are inherently lazy and opportunistic. So, oh wait, are you talking about rats or rats. Or, or people? <laughs> well, you dirty rat. Uh, and so, rats generally will not take the trouble to invade a chicken space or a group of chicken space if they have to work at it. That's, so, that's the basic thing. Okay, so if the food is, like, not just laying around. Right. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, you know, broke it down into several categories. So do do rats actually want to live in chicken coops? Do, do they gravitate to those? And that's, that's only if they don't have another warm space available. You know, chicken coops are warm. But uh, that also would apply only in colder climates. So yeah. they don't need to be in the chicken coop. Um, I would think chickens would not want to share chi- their, their home with a rat. And that's important because if your chicken coop is the appropriate size for the number of chickens you have, there's not going to be room for a rat, and the chickens won't tolerate it. So they, they, won't, they won't let it in there. And then yeah. you mentioned the feed. Yeah, I mean, feed's got to be... I mean, you always want your feed closed up. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. Why would you for not? Any, yeah, I mean... We, we, when we um, distribute feed to the chickens, uh, what, two or three times a day, we pretty much broadcast it on the ground, and we make sure that they eat it all mm-hmm. so the birds don't come and get That's it. That's right. We just give them a little bit. 
what they need. Manage it. Manage Manage it. it. Yeah. Well, and then there's a there's a myth that rats might attack the chickens. I saw people. Oh, the rats are going to attack your chickens, and no, they're really not. Chickens, in fact, are the omnivores. And they're really efficient hunting machines. Yeah. They will attack a rat, especially I, a small I, one. I have seen my chickens in the past chase and kill and eat a mouse. Yes. Probably couldn't pull off a rat. Yes, I remember <laughs> the picture. Yes, that's right. I think that's we right. had that happen I, in I 20, fo- 2018. I have a photograph of a chicken with a mouse's tail hanging out of its mouth. That's right. <laughs> uh, in fact, the Smithsonian Magazine uh, 2008 story, quote, the closest living relative of Tyrannosaurus rex are birds, such as chickens and ostriches. Paleontologists used genetic materials discovered in a chance find in 2003 to pin down the links. So wow. you do remember, though, if you've got chicks in the, in the chicken coop, that that might be an easier meal for a rat, and yeah. we see it as not. You know, I, and we're I'm much more concerned about possums, raccoons, mm-hmm. uh, stray dogs. We had a we had a, we had two huskies running loose in the neighborhood mm-hmm. a couple months ago, and they killed eleven chickens. Not two, ours. Two of our neighbors two had their chickens killed. Five and one. Much more concerned about a husky than I am about a rat. That's right. And those huskies should just chase down the rats. That's what they should be doing. <laughs> well, if they do that, that's okay. Going after those. But again, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean some places have a rat problem. Mm-hmm. We don't really have that in Des Moines. There, I, Most of the, I, I've seen a few rats in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Usually they're pet rats that have been set free. I've seen them in New York, just sure. out on Dr- in a like, park. Like eating, eating pizza. Eating pizza. Eating pizza. Pizza rat. Right, right, Look it yeah. up. Pizza rat. Um, some people worry that the rats bring chick- bring diseases to the chickens, and they do carry diseases. But the, and they also carry mites and fleas. Um, but carry mice mites. on their backs. Oh, mice. mice. Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. A little mouse attached to the rat's back. And oh, and all mites. of those diseases could be transferred to chickens and humans. But right. that's another reason. If if you're a responsible chicken keeper, you're keeping an eye out. And if if you've got one. You know, one rat problem. You're gonna you're gonna take care of it immediately. We so. did, uh, and we we've lived with a rat now for uh, twelve years, thirteen years, mm-hmm. and uh, I've seen one one. Well, there was one pet rat that somebody let loose that uh, it was white, it, so we it, knew it was. Yeah, a pet. It, was, it didn't last long. It, I don't know what happened to it, but it it, it didn't last long. No, <laughs> but we had another. We had an actual wild rat come by once, mm-hmm. once, and our cat took care of that real quick. And it didn't hide in the chicken. Coop. It hid under an old sink that was outside the, right. the pen. Yeah. So that was a, you know, that was something. If you if you do see a rat around the coop, um, it may not be immediate danger unless there are chicks. And we cannot prescribe any method of eliminating the rat problem, but it is important to get on it. And just just think though, if you don't get on it right away, that they can really reproduce. A female can produce up to six litters a year six a year up to six wow. a year and then they might have anywhere between eight and 18 pups per litter they Whoa. call them pups do the math what's that come to? that's about that that's average of 78 pups per female per year and wow. think about their babies having babies and increase that exponentially it's a big Gosh. so you know be a responsible chicken keeper but yeah. don't don't be one of these fear mongers that oh they have chickens they obviously have rats. That's yeah. not true. It's a myth. So take that, Elaine. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I've outed, I've outed my, my, my critic. Anyway, hey, uh, thanks for joining us, Kathy, and thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, 
Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and for Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. And thanks to the Des Moines Iowa Session for providing our bumper music. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot, so go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.